1: Got a favorite Kate Bush song that you just want to leave a couple of thoughts on? Well, you can call our hotline at any time and your thoughts might be played on a future episode. That number is 1-757-349-6886. That's 1-757-349-6886. Hope to hear from you soon. Strange Phenomena now has a Patreon page. If you would like to support the show, then you can visit patreon.com slash Kate Bush Podcast to see what wonderful rewards we're offering for your support of the show. Thank you. And now, on with the show. This weird hybrid
0: where it kind of starts out like a power ballad, and then, as you said, erupts into this iris jig, and also has, like, folktale elements, and then also in terms of, as we'll discuss, the narrative construction Mm -hmm. is is a dialogue which no, which is very bizarre and unusual and (laughs) yeah they're just it's i think it's kind of like if you looked up the word sweeping in the dictionary that you just like they should just play this song yeah they should um it's just the most sweeping it really sweeps you up into all this this frenzy of emotion and melody and it's just this wild
2: emotional experience
1: Welcome to Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. I'm Cecily Link, and this week we're going to be talking about the seventh track from Kate Bush's fourth album, The Dreaming, called Night of the Swallow.
2: your face on the moon to me and i won't let you do what you want to do it's funny how
1: And with me to talk about this song, she is a friend of the show, and she's been on many episodes before. And this is her absolute favorite, favorite, favorite Kate song in the whole wide world in the history of Kate Bush's yes. songs. And yes. she- So
0: my name's Zoe. I've been on a bunch of other episodes, mm-hmm. um, and I can't list them all. There's many. And <laughs> yes, this is my favorite Kate Bush song of all time, and, I- and one of my top three favorite songs of any, by any artist well, just in general of all time and so i'm excited to dive into talking about what makes it why i think it's her best song and
1: one of the best songs made by anyone ever and i have to agree that for me this is my number four favorite kate bush song overall and my absolute favorite, On the Dreaming. So this is going to yeah. be a cool discussion. Oh, my God. We both love this song. Yeah. yeah. For, it's
0: it's interesting because it's one that I don't know whether to call underrated or not. Because in terms of, like, just general, I, mo, I, I'm Americans. So most people don't know her to begin with. People who do wouldn't know this song. But amongst her fans, it's actually very highly esteemed. Mm. So it, I don't know whether to call it underrated. It's not something like an earlier, like earlier I was on episodes about, Um, Kashka from Baghdad or Full House. Those are songs that really just get completely overlooked. If you talk to fans, this is often in a lot of fans, top 10, and that's what deserves to be. And Mm -hmm. I look forward to going into why. Just to me, there is no other song quite like it that exists out there. I think it's one of the most unique songs we have ever heard. And that's what makes it so special.
1: Part of why this is (laughs) my favorite, 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 favorite song on The Dreaming and number four overall. Like you said, it is so, this is so fucking unique. (laughs) Like, this was actually one of the first songs I connected with on The Dreaming because it was just so much like, I'd never heard anything like this before. I mean, yes, I've heard Irish music, but Mm -hmm. I've never heard anything. Not mixed with a power ballad. I know. With like, it's. yeah. And I love the melody. I love the production. Uh, that It's like you said, it starts in this one thing and then it erupts into this Irish song and right. then it goes back to exactly. it. Like, it erupts, oh, my God. That's the perfect word to describe it. It really mm-hmm. does erupt. It really does. And for me, I just like
0: music that's as melodramatic as possible. Mm-hmm. There's so many wonderful, amazing musicians who I just don't listen to because their music is too Calm for me, it's just like guitar and voice. I can't do that. I need I need eruption, and this is a <laughs> This is this is a song that erupts. This weird hybrid where it kind of starts out like a power ballad, and then, as you said, erupts into this iris jig, and also has like folk tale elements. And then also, in terms of as we'll discuss, the narrative construction mm-hmm. is is a dialogue, which no, which is very bizarre and unusual. And <laughs> yeah, they're just it, it's. I think it's kind of like if you looked up the word sweeping in the dictionary that you just like, they should just play this song. Yeah, they should. Um, It's just the most sweeping. It really sweeps you up into all this this frenzy of emotion and melody. And it's just this wild emotional experience. Uh, I do really love the lyrics and that's part of why I love the song so much. But even if she was saying gibberish, it would still be really amazing because Mm -hmm. it just completely transports you to another world. And The Dreaming's my favorite Kate album. And so all of the dreaming sounds like very little else that exists in the world, which mm-hmm. is what's so special. I mean, my favorite albums of all time are the dreaming and this album called the Marvel Index by Nico. And that's because both those albums feel like they you can't they could have been made yesterday or eighty years ago. You can't well I mean this couldn't have been made eighty years ago because the technology. But um you can't play like they they seem kind of out of space and time in a way. This in particular, it's just also, I think it's what's important about it is that it's, so, it's just so rousing. Mm-hmm. It does, even though there's elements, as we'll talk about, in terms of when you learn more about the narrative construction, it doesn't feel as much like this, but it feels like a, a almost like a battle cry. Um well, that's a quote of good Florence and Machine here. It's a battle cry. It's a symphony <laughs> of seven mm-hmm. devils. But it does. It does feel like that. Like, it is a cry for liberation that I could almost imagine, like, activist movements taking up as, as sort of like, a protest song or something. There's so much going for it mm-hmm. in every way. Both, not just lyrics, music. Every, it's, not, it doesn't, it's not one of those songs where you're like, oh, yeah, but I love the melody, but the lyrics are kind of weak or vice versa everything's perfect
2: mm-hmm. and
0: there just is nothing I, I mean for those of you listening who have who've have heard the song you just know there can't you can't really describe compare it to any others i can't compare it to another song that this i mean the closest thing that some people might say would might be jig of life that's only because of Irish instrumentation. they actually are the construction of the song they're nothing alike Mm-mm. jig of life is actually constructed in a much more straightforward way this Construction just—it's like zigzagging back and forth between multiple genres and different things all at once. So it's one of the most complex musical creations I know. I feel like um, for those of you well versed in meme culture, there's that meme of Oprah saying, you know, about Gail King. You know, she's the friend that everyone wants, the sister everyone deserves. She, I don't know the better person. She's the best person I know. I feel that way talking at night swallow. I'm like, it's there's the best song I can ever know. You, I don't know a better song. This is the
1: first time where we get to hear Kate doing like like fully embracing even her Irish mm-hmm. roots. Like mm-hmm. she, she just, she goes, I want this song to have a little sound, a little Irish and she just, she goes for it and it's the first time we yeah. get to hear especially the like the, the beautiful pipes that are used. I, oh my god, I get to nerd about that in this episode because oh my goodness, mm-hmm. cool and musical instruments and this is the first time we get to hear some of those beautiful Irish pipes and yeah, there is just nothing else like this song. Holy shit!
0: And yeah, and what you're just what you just mentioned is part of what makes this song a very important historic moment in her career because it becomes. I mean, a trademark of her work is an embrace of Irish instrumentation, Irish fruits, and that actually this is the mm-hmm. first time she does that. But yeah. it's something that when people talk about her work and her overall legacy, always comes up, and this was the song where it began. So, um, so it's extremely important historically in her career as opposed to just being
1: a wonderful song. It's the beginning of something that becomes key to who she is as an artist. She's incorporated folk music elements in her music before, especially in her narrative mm-hmm. structures, and especially yeah on this song. But this is one where she gets to you gets has people like playing the penny whistles and doing these other instruments, and it's yeah, yeah. really cool to hear. And
0: that's yeah. The, really, yeah, and that's something she's been doing from Never Forever onwards, just having people. She's like, okay, here's what the song to sound like. I'm gonna actually use it's like I remember when we talked about Never Forever. You talked about it as her world music album because mm-hmm. you. Different instruments are used in different parts of the world, so that this is very. I guess that's just part of her being so literal about everything. This is the same woman who has to literally turn <laughs> sh- to dance. Super, she's just, I'm so cold. She's like, I need it to sound like it's from Egypt. I need to get a mu I need to get an instrument from Egypt. So, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's for the best, and it's it's not one of those. It's not hokey um, or anything. It's not. Mm-hmm. Ripper dance. I got two good things from my S. One was a modeling career, and the second was <laughs> the second was the first UK first edition UK vinyl pressing of the Dreaming. Unfortunately, I don't have a record player, so whenever I meet someone who does, I'm like, "You, me, record player, of the Dreaming." And um, and one of my ex used to listen to the Dreaming quite often, actually, on that vinyl. And every time I've played it for anyone, prepare them also like just so you know, with the one coming, like that's the song. But I remember with like. My first time was my ex. Mass was like, "Oh, that song! Whoa!" Because it just, as I'll talk about later, it builds to this climax and then kind of deflates a little at the end, so you can breathe and. It, you, you, I feel like you're. It's like Keanu Reeves. You're like, whoa. You're, you're, you're kind of puts you in that state. <laughs> yeah. Um, like I, I'm not like visualizing him, Bill and Ted, with his face goes, whoa. It just mm-hmm. kind of, it, it kind of feels like being transported to another world. I mean, it, you are like literally flying off.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So um, you're just literally you're transported to another world, and you kind of then the ending, since it calms down, you're brought back to Earth and land on your feet, and are like, okay, I have to soak that in. That Mm -hmm. was an experience. And then all the love comes. And it's good. It's well done that all the love comes next with all the love's more down-tempo songs who kind of Mm -hmm. need that. And also another really good thing about this is is in terms of placement is the I really love the transition between the Dreaming and Night of the Swallow
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, and how how the Dreaming transitions into this song is really beautifully done because it's one where it shows the importance of the album as art as opposed to just listening to songs. Because mm-hmm. if you're just listening to the dreaming, that's the song individually, you have the piece at the end, you're like, okay, this is where it's coming from. If you listen to the album as a whole, it bleeds into Night of the Swallow and then crashes into that big piano crash. So it's mm-hmm. very, it shows the importance of album art.
1: Yeah, I did always think it was interesting having the dreaming, the, the, song, the song before it, ending with, still with a little bit of the didgeridoo there and then going into a little bit of the like the instrumental for that goes over the chorus, and then it just kind of, like, mm-hmm. fades away. I always found that very interesting, just, like, the mixture of the aborigine uh,
3: right.
1: traditional instruments. Like why,
0: yeah, like, why wouldn't she, instead of putting it at the end of the Dreaming, why wouldn't she put it at the beginning of the, night of the Swallow? Because she, by putting it at the end of the Dreaming, she's showing that she clearly intends for listeners to listen to this as an album and not as an individual songs. I mean, there wasn't really the option back then to just yeah. shuffle on your iPod. So she could have done it either way, and it's interesting that she chose to put it in the Dreaming rather than
2: in the, night the Swallow.
1: So I find most interesting about this song is that "Night of the Swallow" was technically released as a single, but it was only in Ireland, which I guess makes sense given the instrumentation that we will, that we'll we'll talk about. But it didn't go anywhere. It was released as a single. It just went kind of boop, didn't do anything. <laughs> And it was, yeah, released quite
0: late after I think the album was released. Yeah, over a year after the album was released. Her first single from It Was Sat in Your Lap, released really early. I think she should have released Suspended and Gatha as, a, as like a second single. Probably would have been more commercially successful. Instead, she released the Dreaming title track, which I love, but isn't, doesn't really work as a single. And then did There Goes a the Tenor, which also makes sense of the single because it's more catchy, but also... Again, if there isn't really a song from this album that works. There really isn't any song from this album that Mm-mm. works as a commercial single, although Sat In Your Laugh did do quite well. I think if she had done in Gaffa, that would have been the next best choice in terms of commercial viability. But this one is not... Yeah, it is. this is not something you hear on the radio, but at the same time, you also wouldn't hear something like Sat In Your Laugh in the radio. So when it comes to Kate Bush, there just isn't really... You can't really... There so she has no
1: limits. <laughs> well, I think I almost wonder if the fact that the that her record company released this as a single over a year—yeah, it was over a year after the release of the album on November twenty-first, nineteen eighty-three, when this thing dropped in September eighty-two. I almost wonder if it was kind of like her record company releasing this song as like almost a last-ditch effort. To try and generate I, yeah. some more interest in the album, because the singles Saturn—I mean saturday App—did well, but the Dreaming stayed on the charts for only, th- I think it was two or three weeks when I looked at it on official charts. And the other, actually, Suspended in gaffa was released as a single, but it was only in yeah, kind I mean, yeah. Europe. Uh-huh. And then there well, goes the tenor right there, yeah. didn't do anything. So I wonder if this was just like, they were like, okay, well, this is slightly, I guess, slightly catchy. Let's just release this thing and see what happens. And they went, oh, I mean, nothing happened. Yeah. Okay. The <laughs> thing that's interesting
0: about that, though, is that we know from reading Under the Ivy, biography of Kate Bush by Graham Thompson, that her record company hated this album.
2: Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah.
0: And did pretty much nothing to promote it. So I'd actually be, so, for to me, it would almost make more sense if Kate Bush herself said, can we just release as a single in Ireland, please? Um, because it seems as though she, her record company did not really do much to promote, she, like, most of the promotions of the Dreaming was her own effort and mm-hmm. her own work, and she's, you can tell in her interviews from this period, she's really putting her heart into those interviews. Yeah. Um, and so, I think it, like, so there's a quote from one of the people at the record company in Under the Ivy, it said that it was the closest EMI to ever coming to re- returning an mm-hmm. album to the artist. So it would surprise me for them to actually ca- like, in- care enough about this album to do that. But I mean, I don't know. We'll see. You never know. We'll yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, no video was made for this song, despite its single release. Um, I'm with you. I'm glad there was no video because it would be like, yeah, mm-hmm. when the single was released around 1000 copies were made with a picture sleeve. The vinyl seven inch was pressed in England, presumably, and the sleeve produced in Ireland. More vinyl was produced than sleeves because the single did not sell well. By the time the next shipment of seven inch singles was in transit, the single had already flopped. The surplus discs hung around, and, and from about one thousand nine hundred ninety copies with a leather, with a lighter weight sleeve, appeared. And so the original copies had card sleeves, whereas later versions had paper sleeves. I kind of thought that was yeah. interesting. Yeah, and the,
0: for feel. those of you who aren't familiar with the, pho- it's a great photo of her too. Like mm-hmm. again, the literalism, like literally playing the pipe, just, just with her hair blowing in the wind. It's a, it really fits yeah. the atmosphere of the song. But yeah, I'm really, even though it was a single, I'm, I'm very relieved there wasn't a video. I love her videos to death. So much. They sustain <laughs> me. But and actually with the second half of this whole album, there's not videos for anything past the Dreaming title track. Mm-mm. So I like that there's not videos for any of these songs so that when I listen to them, I'm just soaking in the narrative and the sounds. I don't have other images intruding on that listening experience. So for example, I was on the Hammer Horror episode, and for me, I can't separate the song and the video. For a lot of her songs, I actually encountered them as... The music video is first, so it's really hard to separate them. And so I like that I'm able to listen to these songs and have just a complete immersive musical experience and not have images intruding into that. So, for example, with the Dreaming title track, I love the song and I enjoy the video, but I think that it actually it doesn't really serve the song well. I think that the song is so dark and powerful and the video, as much as I enjoy it, it's like the silliest white girl dancing of all time. So it just kind of dilutes the power and imagery of the song and the darkness of the song, really. And so I think that if there had been a video, given what her videos were like at this period, which were The Dreaming, There Goes a Tenor, and I'm um, Sending Gaffa, I think that, a vi- well, Sat in Your lap before that, which Mm. is like a whole other dimension. But um, (laughs) I think a video might have been looked overly literal or silly, silly, like the dreaming title track video or something like that. And I I just prefer having my own vision, Mm. especially when it is a song that is a very, as we'll talk about, telling a very specific story. It's Mm. kind of weird to have a video. Like it's almost like with cloud busting that tells a very specific story. So she made a video that's, where it's just recounting the story which I actually don't really like that approach as much I that's one of the videos of hers I'm not as fond of even though that's a very unpopular opinion I like the more abstract ones so yeah so I'm glad that I just get to experience this as it was made as and same for the whole second half of the dreaming like I can't really imagine like imagine like a video for Houdini about like them holding a seance and Kate making really her big kooky eyes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> at the it, You wouldn't. It would make the song sillier when it's such a, when Higini so, for me, darkly and deeply romantic and powerful.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, speaking of the narrative of the song, I'm especially, and I know you, we've talked about this before with the song, that the narrative structure... To me, it's really intriguing because if you're if you're not looking at the lyrics, you don't realize <laughs> yeah. that it's actually a dialogue. And I will right. tell you, the first time yeah. I heard this song, I was kind of like, "I don't get something, cram. I don't know what's going on. Who all? I don't know." Yeah, I was just swept <laughs> up in the emotion.
0: That's the mm-hmm. thing. Like that's what makes her such a good singer. Is no matter what she's saying, if you don't know what it is, that emotion gets you up. But yeah, so basically, it's about it's actually so in some i thought so as i said i have the original vinyl pressing from when it came out in the sleeve i thought like it the part so the verses are from the point of view of a wife and then the chorus and bridge are the husband and they're talking to each other but because it's only normally if a song like imagine if you know Pierre gabriel don't give up was only sung by him
2: Mm-hmm. It's
0: you know, normally if there's a song that's essentially a conversation there's one there's it'll be a it's like you know Kate Bush featuring I don't know featuring Lil Wayne as she was but um <laughs> but you know what if he was the what if he was a husband I had to swallow that'd be a good plot twist but um but so normally they all bring up but it's just it's just her singing a dialogue yeah again I had no idea for ages even when it was like my favorite song on the album and everything that it was meant to be a conversation to people and learn that I was even more in awe of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, as I mentioned the bridges and chorus are the husband and the verses are the wife. So it starts at the wife and mm-hmm. then it goes to the husband. But if you didn't really, and also as we've discussed in past episodes, sometimes She, it's just hard to understand what she's saying. Period. You kind of just go with it. Um, again, like when I was saying earlier that I don't really know any other song that sounds like this, it's unique. I don't know any other song that is literally like an actual conversation, by one person. The exception being the most hilarious, like the opposite of this song, which I, um, there's a song by Lady Gaga called "Sex Dream"—sex <laughs> with two S's—because it's you know it really to get the point across. And it's—I love "Sex Dream." It's a actually it's actually a really well-made, well-crafted pop song. And she also does a thing that Kate does of having like different things going on in the background vocals and then in the front in the foreground vocals. Anyways, but it's, this is not as much of a piece of art as "Night Swallow," but. What's interesting is that song i asked, uh, my best friend told me is a dialogue where she's singing to a boy where it's between a boyfriend and a girlfriend, and she's singing to what one point to the boyfriend and another point to the girlfriend, which i would which i because I was really confused because the she changes like pronouns to different parts, so I was like so I texted my friend I was like, this is a really bisexual song, and she's like, oh, it's mm-hmm. because she's talking to the boyfriend and the girlfriend, so that's literally only other song I can think of. That is a dialogue sung by one person. Then it doesn't bring in a second person to play the other role. Um, so, but even though I didn't realize this, I just loved being swept up in the music and the vocals and the lyrics that I was able to discern. That I didn't even care about the structure. But as someone who has writing experience and editing experience and just is interested in music from a literary perspective too. I'm just so awed by the fact that she did that um, Mm -hmm. as a writer. Yeah, because it is
1: confusing. It it really
0: is. Yeah. But if you're the first, is she saying like, she Basically, say, don't do this, and she's like, No, I'm gonna do it. So, if you're if you the same, you could think of it as an internal struggle, which that could, yeah, it could be one. If she didn't say what the song was about in interviews, you could interpret it as an internal struggle between basically like you know the unconscious and the conscious or the superego and the and the it or something. Um, but it's actually two people. So, it starts out the night doesn't like it, mm-hmm. I won't let you do it, and then after, um. After she says, I want you to do it, once she starts saying, meet them over at Dover, that's the husband.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So if you basically have to read the lyrics carefully and see which, whenever it's talking out, like holding someone back, it's the wife. And when someone is talking out, like, let me go, let me go, it's the husband. And there's some problematic gendered aspects of that that I can tell mm-hmm. that I'll talk about later. But anyway, yeah. That's how the song's structured, um, to clarify for people who didn't know, because I didn't for a long time. Mm-mm, me neither. And it almost doesn't even really matter. And I'm, I want, I'm, I'm tempted to say it doesn't even matter. Everything about it is just so great. But to me, it actually is a huge part of what makes it so great and what makes it so unique and special. Like, I will tell, I'll talk about, when I talk about how much I want to get pushed to people, aka just, you know, when I wake up, um,
2: <laughs> I'll,
0: I'll talk about how she made a song that, literally a dialogue and they're like what no one does that like I know right mm-hmm. besides Lady
1: Gaga on sex double X jeans but you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah and even like the even the, the narrative of the song it feels like something from a movie but as far as I can tell yeah. from any interviews well, that, where she's talked about this song and she actually has like said some extensive th- uh, quotes about this song that we'll get into it feels like it could be an old, old movie, but it isn't. It's just... Right. It sounds... It's, it's actually interesting that this
0: isn't based on a movie.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: um, Get Out of My House is based on The Shining, the book, not the movie. But because this almost feels more like a specific narrative than Get Out of My House. Mm-hmm. I think. Like, Get Out of My House, I actually interpret it, even though I know it's about The Shining. I actually have my own interpretation of it as a feminist kind of interpretation about the female body. And intrusion yeah. and privacy, um, but I with this like I said I wasn't going to mention it, but I'm going to mention it because I'm a nurse. So <laughs> this what it reminds me the most of is in the book series The Song of Ice and Fire, known to what I like what I condescendingly call casual, show only casuals game as Game of Thrones, because um, this part isn't in the show. But there's a smuggler, so the, the there's ah. a character smuggler Davos. And um, he's the one with the white beard. He's like Stannis is right hand man. I'm, for for your casuals listening, I'm being condescending. And he's <laughs> one of my, He's like my dad. I love him. And he his wife, Maria. You basically like never she she you never see her. He's always away from her, doing stuff for Stannis because you know because he's he's he loved Stannis that whole story. Um, and he so this like when I read the lyrics of this song it kind of sounds to me like davos and maria talking ah. or almost there are parts where it's there's a part there's one chapter is really beautiful where he thinks he's gonna die and he's reflecting on his life and um he's kind of having an internal struggle with himself about like am i a smuggler or am i like a more noble man and it's like there's those different parts of themselves at war, and I can kind of see that's what Night of the Swallow almost feels like. Is like part of it's being like, no, you're be- you're not just a smuggler, you're you're the hand of the king, whereas the other one's like, nope, there's to a smuggler. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's not real, but yes, yeah, this is not like a narrative that it seems like. Yeah, like with, um, it's weird because she says with, for example, Cash from Bad Dad, she was inspired by quote. An- unspecified American TV show but detective show. But this seems something like more of a detective show. Mm-hmm. So the plot to kind of go more actually we've been like talking around it, not really. The plot is essentially uh, let's let's let's
1: read what Kate how Kate described it. Um this is from Paul Simper. The article was called Dreamtime Time is Over from Melody Maker in on October sixteenth, nineteen eighty two. So not oh, long wow. after this quote Yeah, not long after this was released, yeah. (laughs) I know you were mentioning problematic things, so it reminded me of this here. Because we were kind of talking about, like, you know, the man and the woman there kind of arguing. She says, unfortunately, a lot of men do begin to feel very trapped in their relationships. And I think in some situations it is because the female is so scared, perhaps of her insecurity, that she needs to hang on to him completely. In this song, she wants to control him. And because he wants to go do something that she doesn't want want him to, she feels that he's going away. It's almost on a parallel with the mother and son relationship where there's the same female feeling of not wanting the young child to move away from the nest. Of course, from the guy's point of view, because she doesn't want him to go, the urge to go is even stronger. For him, it's not so much a job as a challenge, a change to, chance to do something risky and exciting. But although that woman's very much a stereotype, I think she still exists today.
0: Yeah. So to backtrack, she also said, because so like, that's kind of describing more like the emotional heart of the song. I feel like more of the actual like what's happening in the song, is she says, she said in one of her newsletters, it's the verses are about a lady who's trying to keep her man, her man, possessive so there, from accepting what seems to be an illegal job. He's a pilot and has been hired to fly some people into another country. Oh, no questions yeah. are asked to be asked, and she gets the bad feeling from the situation. But for him, the challenge is almost more exciting than the job itself, and he wants to fly away. As the fiddles, pipes, and whistles start up in the choruses, he's explaining how it will be all right. He'll hide the plane high up in the clouds on a night with no moon. So poetic, and mm-hmm. he'll swoop over the water like a swallow. Mm-hmm. So it's about. So that's what's about, and the alternate, and then what it's about underneath that is what she's saying this kind of dynamic that she sees as, judging, as having heterosexual relationships so i'm just like girl are you projecting what was going on with Del, Tom? what was going on at the time are you projecting <laughs> like basically this kind of she's kind of be, this, and she does say yes to a stereotype i appreciate that but basically the whole thing is saying like women are needy and nagging their men from like being their lone wolf selves they need to fly free for them. It sounds like something an incel would say, honestly. Incels are, um, like, those dudes who just, like, go on Reddit all the time and, like, talk uh, hard to killing people. I don't know, like, just Mm. saying that neediness and the need for intimacy is a, quote, female feeling, I mean, true because we don't allow men to express as much desire for intimacy as women, but that is that is very problematic kate but anyways <laughs> but i but yeah but it's about the smuggler and his wife and i think yeah and it's interesting. but yeah before but i like you can interpret it as i said earlier you could interpret it in so many ways that have nothing to even do with that like mm-hmm. i see it as this rallying cry um i'll talk about later how my absolute favorite line you know my absolute favorite part where she says she wants like where the where the, narr- the man but you could interpret it as, anyway. I think for a lot of women, can relate to this line where she talks about, Give me something to take. Would you break even my wings just like a swallow? Mm-hmm. It's a lot of, for a lot of women who have been suppressed from pursuing things that they want to do in life because of being women, like Kate Bush was from being a producer for some time. I think that this song is actually something that can be about liberation and independence in general and not mm-hmm. necessarily within the context of a heterosexual relationship. It's just about the, the idea of flying free and being allowed to.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I know she said in interviews that it's definitely a man and a woman speaking, but because, because she doesn't, the I in the there, I mean, it's I and you, but you don't know whether that I or you is a man or a woman. woman. I mean, this right. If you this, don't unless. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, you could perhaps say that, I mean, she is a storyteller. She's not a personal, uh, bleeding her heart out on the piano kind of person, uh, singer-songwriter, but perhaps she's she had infused this a little bit of this song and even some of the others on The Dreaming, especially ones about knowledge and seeking things and wondering if exactly. you're going to find them. If maybe she infused some of her own anxieties about... Going out and doing things on her own and letting people and people letting her just try things, right? That's why
0: I said, like, maybe you're projecting Kate because she always Mm -hmm. said that quote, which is, I think myself as a man. I said, The piano, like, if you're thinking yourself as a man, maybe you're the man in the relationship, someone's trying to oppress you. I don't know, but um, but I think, yeah, I agree, I think that. I
1: don't remember what I think. Anyways, go on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we were just, I was just talking about how perhaps, like, I, I find that the more I listen oh, right. to. Oh, right. Oh, the search for knowledge thing. Yeah. That, or just right. that she's, she's speaking a, a little, maybe putting in a little bit of her own thoughts, but through a character yeah. so that she's kind of got a wall up between uh, yeah, her and absolutely. the audience so that it's not the person coming out in performing, if she were to perform the song, ha, performance of her, the song, yeah. no, that oh, there's, yeah, don't, she's don't. formed a distance okay. between yeah, I, her yeah. and the audience. Yeah, absolutely. I think
0: that this album is about the things that you described, which is about lack of feeling, about anxieties around lack of connection to other people, lack of knowledge, the search for knowledge. Um, and I think that this song, in a way, is kind of the in like the apex of that because Mm -hmm. and like the climax of that because she's taught she literally fly it's about flying um Mm -hmm. and she has on every album that water imagery is really big for her but um there's at least one song in every album that has to do with flying and then before her 2014 before the dawn shows which is another thing we do not have visuals for Oh uh, thank you, Miss thank you, Miss Bush. Um, Mrs. McIntosh, whatever. Um, she actually became a bird and flew out over the audience, which is why we need to see it. But I digress. I know. So um, so the thing is her whole like her whole career has been around this thing about and then in Ariel and that's why she became a bird, at the end of Ariel saying, like, I wanna fly up I wanna off, up off the, the roof. I wanna get up on the roof. Mm-hmm. Right, get up on the roof, fly off the roof. So her whole career has been essentially about flying, and mm-hmm. I think what that is also what she has accomplished as a woman in the music industry, who has broken boundaries that for other for so many other women and so many other musicians in general. Um, she essentially ha- did become like a bird, and it's interesting because there's an infamous quote from her from uh, from around 2005, where someone asked her what her favorite singers are and she's named birds.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so she clearly has a bird thing. Um, and this song is I, my favorite, of the Kate Flying songs, of which there are so many. Well, since it's my favorite Kate song ever, it's my favorite of the Kate Flying songs. But, um, but I think that it kind of is the peak of this idea of searching for something else and something better that this whole album is about. And mm-hmm. even... I mean, although it continues on because then Houdini is about trying to restore a lost connection and um, all of the, and literally go into oh. the world of the dead. And then All the Love is about trying to... Um, all the Love is about trying... Like, looking back on lost connections. And then Get Out of My House, I think, is a perfect ending to an album with these themes because again the House ends with her transforming into an animal. So she literally actually um what's the word i'm looking for it starts with a t transform um, no but she does i mean she does transform but she does she basically overcomes even the human form in order to escape restrictions and so i think that on an album that's all about exploring what in life is restrictive what in life is scary such as you know war such as the lack of knowledge um such as um, colonialist oppression, you need to actually finally change into something inhuman in order to escape. Um, and that's what happened. That's the trajectory of the album. And so this song is kind of a perfect point into that direction, which then in the house is the final metamor- literal metamorphosis. Mm-hmm. It's like it's almost like I'm picturing, you remember Animor? Yes. Mm-hmm. Long it's time so much, ago. Like, the dreaming. Someone should make a version of the dreaming. Like, like the dreaming, like, is Animorphs. Like, <laughs> like, basically, it's, like, she's turning into... She's slowly transforming throughout the album to the point where she can't really function in the human world anymore. And that's why she's called this kind of, like, an anxious album. And then, Hounds of Love, she called, like, a much happier album. Um... But yeah, but this song, even though there is anxiety to it, I can't overemphasize how amazing it feels to listen to as this, like, endorphin rush. Mm-hmm. It actually makes me feel... It's just an overpoweringly good, kind ex- positive experience. Because even though the more I analyze the lyrics, the more I kind of take a little bit of issue with, like, the wife holding the husband back and being, like, the nag or whatever, um, I just... It feels like something, especially considering the Irish influence. Yes. I think that was happening in Ireland at this time. Ireland was fighting, Northern Ireland was fighting for independence, for, against British oppression. And I don't think this is something that she was doing consciously, but it is interesting that um, this song that's about breaking free and flying away is is an Irish song happening at a time when there was such extreme political tension and division happening in Ireland and Mm -hmm. with Northern Ireland and the UK. So I think that you could also read it. Like if you, again, it's one of those things where, as I said, if you don't know what the actual plot is, you could think of something else. You could read this song as a metaphor about Ireland and England too.
1: What I part of what I also love about this song is the Irish instrumentation on this because it's mm-hmm. to me it to me it's exotic you know and mm-hmm. we're you and I we're, we're both like young Americans here. We don't grow mm-hmm. up listening to Ilian pipes every day but what makes this song so beautiful are these beautiful pipes that come in on the chorus they're they're a specific kind of pipe actually. And they're played by a member of Planksti, which was a uh, traditional Irish group. His name is Liam O'Flynn, and he plays what are called the Ilian pipes and also penny whistles. But what I think are interesting are the Ilian pipes. So, okay, I used to think this thing was pronounced Yulian pipes, but it's Ilian, and they are actually the national bagpipe of Ireland.
2: Illin pipes are a woodwind weed instrument that were developed in around the 1700s. They were called Irish pipes or union pipes, but now today they're more commonly called illin pipes because you use your elbow to press the bellows and the Irish word for elbow is illin. They were developed from the pastoral pipes which had a slightly longer chanter. Our chanter is a little bit shorter which means that you can sit down and place the chanter on your knee on a leather pad. The leather pad... Seals the bottom of the chanter, which means that you can play the second octave by putting a little bit more pressure on the reed.
1: The bag of the Ilian pipes is inflated by means of a small set of bellows strapped around the waist and the right arm, in the case of a right-handed player. In the case of a left-handed player, the location and orientation of all components are reversed. And the bellows not only relieve the player from the effort needed to blow into a bag to maintain pressure, they also allow relatively dry air to power the reeds, reducing the adverse effects of moisture on tuning and longevity. Some pipers can converse or sing while playing. And it's actually really cool. There's a, there's a video I'm going to link to in the show notes where you can actually watch somebody playing these. And they talk also a little bit about the history of the pipes and how they're made. And it's, it's a very different... Sound. I mean, yeah, they're pipe. When I think bagpipes, my first thought are Scottish bagpipes, but those, Mm -hmm. but those are played differently than these Ilium pipes. Like the Ilium pipes, if you if you look at how they're played, and especially like like on the the single cover for Night of the Swallow, it's a bag that's under your arm and like right at your elbow, and you're playing it, and you've got another part you're playing with your with your fingers, whereas. Um, whereas the uh, the Scottish bagpipes, you've got a bag, but you're blowing into it. And mm-hmm. so that's a little di- – and so that's different than, than these kind of pipes, which are – which are all like a bag right under your elbow. And yeah, you can, you can actually talk to people while you're playing it because you're not physically blowing <laughs> into, into a bag like you are with the Scottish bagpipes. The
3: music that we play is, is very, very varied. There are tens of thousands of different individual pieces. A great deal of it is dance music, including reels, jigs, hornpipes, set dances, polkas, but also purely instrumental music and a huge number of song airs that would be the oldest stratum of the music, they go back in some cases to the 17th, 16th, possibly even the 15th century.
1: And also, I gotta yeah. say, these pipes sound a hell of a lot prettier <laughs> than the yeah. other pipes. Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> Do you want know all sorts of occurs now you're talking, in terms of like being able to read this song as a metaphor of so many different things? Unfor- unfortunately, you could also read it as like a... Pr- I mean, it's obviously not, but you could almost even also read as a pro-Brexit song, in a way. I don't know. Like, so, like, it can just be any form of liberation, even though that is not a very healthy liberation. Mm -hmm. But, you know, but it it can be political. I think this is a song that can be politicized.
1: The arrangement for Night of the Swallow and all these, um, how she got these Irish musicians. So it's like she's got... Uh, the drums from Stuart Elliott, who's been on there before. We got Del. He's playing his fretless bass and eight-string bass. We got Kate singing. We got her background vocals and her keyboards. As mentioned, we got the Ilian pipes and the penny whistles from Liam O'Flynn, who is a member of Plankstee, a traditional Irish group. Uh, the fiddles from Sean Keane and the bazooki from Donald Lunny. And the way this all came together, just the song production, it sounds like, like what happened was... She had down the basic tracks, but knew ahead of time that she wanted to have an Irish flavor for the choruses, and she got together with the members of uh, Planksty and another group called the Chieftains, and they collaborated with her on an arrangement for the for the choruses on the song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she actually says this is from Zigzag magazine. Uh, somebody said, was that a demo you sent them or a backing track? Did they eventually overdub their part or do you do it live with your band? She says, well, for the actual session with Planksteen, we took a 24 track tape over to Ireland with the complete track mixed down rough on two of the tracks. Along with a time code on one track so we could sync it up again with the original tape when doing a final mix back in London. So the rest of the tracks were all free for Bill's arrangement, Bill Whalen, Bill's arrangement and any other ideas we might get. Plankste were very different to work with as musicians. It was all so much fun. And then she later says they were incredible. The energy and attitude toward their, the energy and attitude toward recording music. We worked from five in the morning until eight the next morning, then went straight to the airport. The whole idea of the song was that the choruses were this guy flying off. He's a pilot who's been offered a load of money if he doesn't ask any questions. He really wants to do it for the challenge as well, but his wife is really against it because she feels he's going to get caught. The verses are her saying, don't do it. And the choruses are him saying, look, I can do it. I can fly like a swallow. Yeah. And then here in Musician Magazine, um, said in 1985, she says, my brother Jay was a big fan of Planksty and played their records all the time. And when I heard them, I thought they were fantastic. Then one day I was writing the song Night of the Swallow on the last album and I thought, what would really go well in the chorus is a Celtic band. So I thought, Planksty." And the interviewer says, who came out with that beautiful mo- melody line on the Ilian pipes? She says, Bill Whelan, who is also a producer and the keyboard player of Planksty. It was fantastic because I sent him a cassette of a rough mix and then he rang up and said, listen, do you want to hear the arrangement? He was at home in Ireland and I was in the studio here in London. And I said, yeah, I'd love to. And he said, well, hang on a minute. And he put down the phone, and then I could hear these pipes and this whistle. They had my cassette going on a machine, and they were playing live with it over the phone, and it was beautiful. And then I heard these little steps up to the phone, and he said, well, what do you think? And I said, great. It was wonderful. The interviewer said, oh, wow, what a pity you didn't tape at all. And she says, oh, I know. If I'd known beforehand, then I'd have had everything going. It was really beautiful, a fantastic moment.
0: Yeah, it's just interesting how she's talking about flying, even in terms of, like, the instrumentation.
1: And here, this, uh, this is from uh, Under the IV She says, he says, because she was using a commercial studio owned by Virgin Records, but she was at the mercy of their schedules. The townhouse had other bookings, and Nick Lanay was needed elsewhere. So the sessions moved to Abbey Road for several weeks in July and August, where she worked with house engineer Hayden Bendel, whom she first met when he was working on Roy Harper's Universal Soldier album. They recorded Pull Out the Pin and Night of the Swallow during those sessions, which Bendel recalls as being, quote, "...fragmented, difficult, very long hours. Everyone worked very hard." At one point during the recording of Night of the Swallow, the musicians utilized all three Abbey Road Studios at once, As Stuart Elliott played drums in Studio 3, the sound was fed through speakers into Studio 1, where the ambience echoing through the cavernous hall was also taped, while the results were simultaneously recorded on the console in Studio 2. Afterwards, she flew to Dublin and spent a day in Windmill Lane, working all night to record members of traditional Irish band Planksty, a long-cherished favorite of Jay and Patty, and the Chieftains playing Bill Whaleman's exquisite arrangement for the song. And then straight back to the studio in London.
0: It's interesting that this was one of the I think I yeah, I think this was one of the first songs recorded for the mm-hmm. album actually. Because you would think something this complex would have taken a while. But all the songs I'm dreaming are extremely sonically dense. So Oh yeah. Yeah. It's not like any of them would have been easy to record. Mm.
1: Oh, and I like this here, this is kind of talking about the uh more about her recording. Sorry, recording with these guys. We arranged that I would travel to Ireland with Jay and the multi-track tape, and that we would re- we would record in Windmill Lane Studios in Dublin. As the choruses began to grow, the evening drew on, and the glasses of Guinness, slowly dropping in level, became like sand glasses to tell the passing of time. We missed our plane and worked through the night. By eight o'clock the next morning we were driving to the airport to return to London. I had a very precious tape tucked under my arm and just as we were stepping onto the plane, I looked up into the sky and there were three swallows diving and chasing the flies. Beautiful. <laughs> I just love that that she just went, Okay, I feel like this needs to have an Irish instrumentation to it and I'm I'm gonna go there with this song and really honor my Irish roots. I really, really like that. That that's like we said that's one of the things I love about this song she's like she's fully embracing where she comes from
0: yeah and that's a tribute to her mom too mm-hmm. her mother being Irish and her mom was like a Irish step dancer and looks also really cute because it's in suspended in gas music video her mom makes a cameo where she hugs her so this is mm-hmm. like another little tribute to her mom
1: yeah I actually you and I were I told you uh, we were texting earlier today and I told you that for Christmas because we're recording this right before Christmas um Andrew got me Kate Inside the Rainbow, the the, uh, the photo book from uh, her brother Jay, and there's actually some really cool, there's a really cool story in the beginning of the, uh, in the beginning of the book where he talks about how they all would go visit um, Southern Ireland to go visit, uh, visit with family there, and. Basically what he's describing sounds like, okay, everybody's kind of getting together, and everybody's we got somebody playing a couple fiddles, we got some people playing flutes, and we're all playing Irish music and everybody's dancing and having a great time. And it's it's no wonder like they they spent every summer in Ireland and it's no wonder then that that just really got in under Kate's skin and why she's like, "Oh, I need to honor this."
0: Mhm. Yeah, and that's quite moving, and especially and it's interesting because she has later tributes to her mom, like, the her career with um, well, moments of pleasure, she wasn't officially, but kind of is, and then a choral room. So, so it is a way of bringing, especially on an album about feeling about disconnection and alienation, having something where the music is bringing family and that warrants in is quite powerful.
1: What have other people said about the song? Well, there the two there were two main things I could find. Um, the first one was from Melody Maker. This was released September eleventh, nineteen eighty two. So right as the album was being released, um, this was from a review of the Dreaming. Um, it said, quote, the epic track, though the cornerstone of the album, is Night of the Swallow, which shows yeah. both her growing maturity as a writer and her arrival as an outstanding producer. Hell yeah. Speak yeah, good this, this music for ears. Another complicated song. Surprise, surprise. It moves gracefully through many changing moods and patterns. It's a work of both beauty and anguish, poignancy and eeriness. These twists of moods are enhanced by the use of sublime Irish music. Liam and Liam O'Flynn and Donald Lenny of planksty Sean Keen of the Chieftains intercept, interspected with the rugged main action. Hell yeah! Speak it. I couldn't really write about the song better myself. Like pretty much the way
0: that reviewer described it is pretty a, mm-hmm. a perfect way to describe it. It's nice to see when music critics actually do their job and describe the song the way it sounds. I know. But yeah, like what makes the song so interesting and powerful is how it fluctuates between different moods and patterns. Oh and so yeah. So that critic describing it. How like the fluctuation is really great. Um, yeah, good job. Too. I know. Uh, <laughs> for... And then this. I'm is... just so used to reading such
1: incompetent mm-hmm. reviews on her
0: work that it's like, oh wow, they actually did their
1: job. Cool. And now this one's from Under the Ivy. I, I agree with you about kind of about this this first part of it, but at least yeah. the rest of it is is positive. Three tracks in particular yeah. plotted a path toward the sound and techniques she would explore further on Hands of Love. Night of the Swallow yeah. is full of foreboding and shadows, an exquisite match of light and dark. And the, mm. the deliriously beautiful Perfect. mix of Baroque balladry and traditional Irish instrumentation is something she would return to several times in the future. Yep. Inspired by Patty's deep interest in her own background, Bush was well ahead of the game in incorporating Celtic textures into her music. The likes of the Waterboys and Elvis Costello wouldn't follow suit until several years later. I am not terribly familiar with the Waterboys. I know of them. The only song of theirs I know is uh, something called The Hole of the Moon. I know I've heard some other of their songs on Flashback Alternatives, but I can't really say like, oh, I can't pick them out from a lineup, but I know of the name of
0: But yeah, so what are some of your more personal thoughts on the songs? My like favorite moments, favorite okay. <laughs> lyrics, favorite, like, we. I feel like now is the part where we get to dig into, like, oh, no. like, the little, the little, the things that make it special for us,
1: specifically. Well, for me, this was one of the first songs that I really connected with on The Dreaming. Mm-hmm. When I first got The Dreaming, I was a, I guess at this point, I was, okay, it was 2005, so I was... I was twenty and I was a super. no, I think about no, I was a junior in college and I, I was slowly getting into Kate's music. I, I kinda dipped my toe in the water a a few months before getting the whole story. And even though this was a single, this was not on the whole story at all. It's but... just funny for you to say that. There's just so much water imagery in her work that I got you right. It reminds me of
0: it. It's that, it reminds me of um her cover of "Lord of the River." So,
2: yeah. mm.
1: so when I first got the Dreaming, I was a little bit hesitant to get it, but it was one of the few albums of hers at FYE that they had, and I kept hearing, "Oh, it's really weird." And blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna get this thing and see what happens. You know, that's funny because for me, is like. When someone's like, "Oh yeah, this one is like the
0: weird album," I'm they "Oh, that's what I'm gonna
1: like." <laughs> yeah, well, and <laughs> at the time, time I was one. at the time I was kind of more into slightly more conventional kind of stuff, so that's why I was like, "Oh, I don't know," but I decided to get mm-hmm. it anyway because it was super cheap. At FYE, so why not? So right. I loaded it. I remember loading it up on my iPod and listening to it. I had the top bunk of my of uh, the bed I um, I shared with my roommate at the time. And oh,
0: God.
1: Bunkhead. <laughs> this and I remember like this listen- song crashed it down like oh all the dreaming crashed <laughs> down. Actually, this did not crash down the bed, which is which is saying something. But yeah. I will say like listening to this on my headphones, on my little like little touch or not even wait a minute. They didn't have touch iPods. And God, I'm so old. Um, it was still like the click wheel and stuff like that. That's how old my iPod yeah. was. Oh, my God. It was 2005. And I'm listening to this this uh, this album, and this song immediately stood out to me. This one, uh, this one, and "There Goes a Tenor" and "Suspended in Gaffa" were the ones that I latched on to immediately because, and this one in particular because it was just so different. I I'd heard Irish music before, but it I even though I have a little bit of Irish in me, I've done the spit test. But my people were mostly like German and a little bit of Scandinavian and stuff in there, more than Irish, which you wouldn't expect because I I have natural like reddish strawberry blonde hair. But mm-hmm. I I I remember just listening to the song and thinking it sounded so exotic in the way in the way it shifted around, and I also wasn't sure what she was saying because there was no ly- there were no lyrics. There was no booklet that came with it <laughs> at all. Yeah, and a, a lot of distors- vocal distortion on the album, mm-hmm. so, yeah. But this, just the, the little bit of Irish, like the 10% of Irish I have in me loves this song. It's just so energetic, and it was, I went, okay, you know, I I listened to this song. I remember listening to this song a lot because, again, this was one of the first songs I really connected with on The Dreaming before, like, I would try to get into some of the others. I could not get into Houdini for a very long time. I couldn't get into that to save my life. But, weird! Same, and
0: now it's so, like, a piece of my heart, truly. But and, it actually took me a while to get into it.
1: But, and in, in that one, like, took really, it's really grown on me as well. I think, and, and what I also just loved about this song and I, that I still do is the way she swoops so much with her voice and what really captured me i think about this song is you know i'm a singer i i notice voices and what people's voices are doing and mm-hmm. she's just swooping around with her voice it's yeah. if if you look at the melody line of what she's singing like if you if you have like the the complete kate bush and you look at the she music for just the melody line, it goes up and down. It feels like it's a, like her voice is a plane. And we've talked before exactly. about her, like the way she uses her voice is, is to convey things. And it's it's so unique to her because so many singers don't take risks the same way that she does. Mm-hmm. And she not only does that in the song, but she goes, hey, guys, I've got some Irish in me. I'm going to honor that and I'm going to put this in there and I'm and I'm just and I'm going to do it. And we're just like, okay, cool. We're going along for the ride for you. Okay, let's get on the plane. with you. Swoop around. Yeah.
0: yeah, Yes. Swooping is exactly what her voice is doing. Mm. And and you described it also as like a vocal workout, which is completely true. She's she's basically doing everything with her voice that she possibly can. Yeah. Everything from. Alternating between like delicate vibrato to flat out shriek, um, the
2: night. Yeah, you know,
0: like she's basically like, "Oh, Jane Fonda wants to give you a workout in the eighties. I'm going to show you a workout." <laughs> you know, like, like that kind of thing. It's just, yeah. There's really, and there's yes. Yeah, it's just she's really. It's. I mean, I God, drinking game for every time I say voice is an instrument on this <laughs> on in this the podcast. Way. But, um, but, but yeah. Yeah, and true. then the and, way, and, and that... also the bird, and, and the bird, the bird noise. Gosh, how about the bird noises? Yeah, and she goes like woo. Just... Yeah, and well, yeah, uh, I titia, titia. You know, it's the first time she's actually, and it's also again. Then when she ch- turns into the mule on, on my house, the, of you know, you're actually doing hee haw. She's actually in the so in the background vocals. Uh, I have it. Yes, yeah, so at fours. Four minutes and four seconds in, and then four minutes seventeen seconds in. We'd play a little clips um, in the background. Well, there's she actually makes bird noises. Oh yeah. So she's mm-hmm. being the bird. The little, and then also, um, and there's after she says with a hired plane, she does a whoosh with her voice. With Yeah, so she's really doing all those things with her voice. Of actually, like her, she's making her voice the plane itself, and then the birds in the sky. She's just like, I'm gonna play all. Of this. She was she would be like terrible to work on a school project with in, cl- in this in class, and she'd be like, I'm gonna do everything, guys.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, and also, I I lo- what I what else I love about Night of the Swallow is where it's placed on the album that. She's got a song before this that's so experimental and dark and strange. Dark, yeah. And then she goes to this. And then after this song comes all the love. So you get like your kind of your cool down there. It's just right. It's, but I think because it's a
0: cool down. Well, I can talk that it from talking all the love, but yeah, all the love is so underrated. Um, so deeply underrated. Um, it, it hurts my heart. And um, I think because this song is so sweeping and epic, it truly is an epic song. Because it's so sweeping and epic, all the love and all the love is more downtime, but it feels like a cool down. You're just kind of like still kind of catching your breath. Um, so a lot of people tend to overlook all the love as a result.
2: Mm-hmm. And I
0: understand that. But it's interesting, is actually the first time I listened to Dreaming that was the one that immediately stood out to me with all the love and also when i first listened to never forever the one that immediately stood out to me was all we have to look Mm -hmm. for and then i learned that no one ever talks about either of the songs okay then but uh so i got to do this in justice on the podcast but um (laughs) exactly but 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 yeah but it's interesting i think like she you she does do such a good job i think i like albums where people kind of um I mean, I think with the Dreaming as an album, you do really have to be in a specific mood to listen to because it's so intense.
3: And mm-hmm. like there
0: are times, I actually like, the one I listen to the most probably is, is that probably Never Forever because there's like a different song for every mood and they're so varied. Whereas this is more just like you're kind of in this vortex of intensity and emotion and darkness. Um, but I think that she does do a good job of balancing Thing. so for example like as we discussed earlier there's the interlude of we have the pipes in between the dreaming and this and then you go into all the love which is more of like a on the surface but actually not at all calmer song um so she's able to give the listeners kind of this like their ears a workout too by like giving them different things to listen to
1: mm-hmm. yeah and i also have part of what also like really draws me to this song and, and part of why it ranks so high is I remember listening to this song and a couple of, and also a lot of Lionheart when I was in France. Mm-hmm. And so for me, like listening to this reminds me like with listening to Lionheart it reminds me of sitting on my bed and, putting whatever I had of Kate Bush on shuffle and I mean at the time I I didn't I had just the CD of Lionheart I didn't bring my laptop with me so I wasn't able to rip it to my laptop and then put it on my iPod but I did have this song I had I had the dreaming and the whole story at that point and I remember like listening to this song on my bed like watching watching like the the tiny the tiny street where I was living at the time and I've just mm, I just I feel be, like yeah. I'm like right back there and it was at that time of my life where I was becoming a woman and figuring out what I was doing and you know escaping and and doing my own thing and so that's part of why this why this ranks so high for me it's just like I, I I've got that, that. And and you know, I flew. I flew by myself across the Atlantic yeah. Ocean to a Which foreign is so country. great to do. Yeah, just Yeah, it's so yeah. Yeah, like, so. like I have
0: like yeah, I think whenever you travel, kind of music you listen to when you travel tied to that emotionally. I remember the first time I went to I spent all of high school watching French movies and then the first time I went to Paris, I was listening to some Francoise Hardy as the bus pulled into Paris and, like, just cried. So, like, I always have that emotional connection. I think you always have an emotional connection. But, yeah, you, it's true. You were, you were de- you literally flew. You were being mm. the dude in the song. Um, yeah, it was. That's really lovely. I think this would be a really nice song to, like, star, li- like, stargaze to. Like, mm-hmm. lie, you know, like, lie down and just look at the stars. I and mean, that's what you, what you're describing reminds me of that.
1: So... Yeah, that's a lot of my personal connections with this song. And I know we've talked a lot about, like, with, with you and, and what you love what you love so much about the song, with it being very epic and right. the hybrid. Just like, and... I feel like, yeah, to me, it's more of an experience than a song.
0: It's not just hmm. a song. It's an experience. And that's what I want out of not just music, but all art forms. I want my movies and my music and my books to be, like, an experience that takes me, it sweeps me up, not just a song. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, it just feels like something you're going through this emotional journey. You're going through a sonic journey of so many different types of sounds. Um, There's just nothing else like it. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's, there's just so much to dig into. So like for one thing, like for one, one thing I think is interesting to point out is kind of the, um, parallel to the icarus and daedalus story mm-hmm. of um, i see in your notes of yeah basically like this icarus like you're flying too close to the sun and the wings melt thing like the danger of so in that case like you can kind of see it as you do understand the wife's perspective does make sense of being scared like so her her husband's being offered this this sketchy seeming job and she's scared that he's gonna die or get hurt that's very understandable
2: mm-hmm. um
0: so i think so there's that and then yeah i think what as i said earlier what makes this i've said this before but what makes the song so powerful for me is just kind of it's like this declaration of independence sleeping anthem type thing um that can be applied to pretty much like any situation where anyone has felt oppressed or repressed in their life. Um, but also with such a interesting specific story. So some standout moments. I, I do want to talk more about the gender dynamics, but first kind of I wanted to talk about just standout moments. Um, so yeah, like the swooping of her voice in general, the whoosh actor with a hired plane and the bird noises. I also really like um, during the refrain, there's drums beating underneath the refrain. And it reminds me of when she said, last night in breathing. Oh, and, you hear mm-hmm. the, the, and you hear the drum underneath. I love that. And then I love her, her vibrato. Mm-hmm. Um, because basically, I mean, I forgot the most important part, which is the opening.
2: The night! Yeah. It's a
0: primal scream. And it really, it just, you're like, whoa, what was that? Like mm. uh, you the Kate Bush is literally yelling at me. Okay, uh, like you're and, li- when you listen to this song in your head, like and then you're with your earphones in, the like, Kate Bush you're walking. I'm like I'm walking around the city. Kate Bush, will me at me, basically. <laughs> um, and then, so that's like a hint at the alternating tension. There's this alternating alternating between tension and relief throughout the song. So that's just a preview of what's to come. And this starts with this giant release of the night. And then she does some really controlled vibrato that's very beautiful. Mm-hmm. So on one song, sound of it at 58 seconds in. Another one is
2: borderline. And
0: then from 237 extends like a really long time. She holds that note for a long time. So she mm-hmm. has that very controlled vibrato mixed with the raw shouting like, I'll let them run, no, that part. Um so and also when she says, I won't let you do it, I won't let you do it, I won't let you go through it, she sounds like she's kind of genuinely crying. She does this thing, um, I think I talked about it on the yeah, the weak voice. I can't remember what song I talked... I think I talked about an the Bull ring episode. Where yes. She, like does this thing? I call her like weepy voice, where it sounds like she's actually <laughs> crying as she sings. And the song word I think is like she does is the pinnacle of that. that is all the love. She does at the most. Um, but when she's saying that, you can hear the wife like her sorrow. um and so yeah and so I just and I also just really love the chorus it's so it's such a wonderful piece of writing there's no risk I'll whisk them up in no moonlight and mm-hmm. though pigs can fly they'll never find us posing as the night and I'm home before the morning so yeah for a while I had no idea what she's I heard her say pigs can fly I didn't really know what else she was saying but I was like it's just so rousing and anthemic mm-hmm. and I love it but this thing of like they'll never find us posing as the night gorgeous
2: Never find it,
1: yeah because it seems like uh oh, they're, they're we're we're gonna be co- we're gonna be covert nobody's gonna notice us yeah you didn't see anything
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah there's just there's something i picture there's this painting i don't remember the name of the painter This paint my favorite stuff met always um i'm I live in new york city it's called the Storms. Like these love, these like these couple who are there running and they're have like a a sheet pulled over them to hide. It, it reminds me of that. It's like this very beautiful escapist thing. Oh and then, yeah, I,
1: I see it here. Yeah, the Storm is a painting by French artist Pierre Auguste Co. It looks like comp, yeah, completed one. in 1880. Currently on display at New yeah. York's Metropolitan Museum of Art. Ooh. I've
0: ever since I was a little girl, I'm going to that's always one of my favorite thing to see at the Met. But there's this thing about like this posing in the night and hiding in the night. Mm. That I find really beautiful that reminds me of that painting. And so then, my favorite passage I find this one of the most rousing declarations of independence in music <laughs> history uh, that can be adopted by anyone trying to find freedom. For me, again, to break the nerd, to the Song of Ice and Fire, so Game of Thrones reminds me, this, this part to me reminds you so much of the character of Sansa Stark because um, other characters call mm-hmm. her Little Bird or Little Dove throughout the series. And so there's a lot of bird imagery with her. And they tell her to sing, little bird. Um, so, my favorite part, and also, like, this is every depressed person's favorite part. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, for the first part, give me a break. Ooh let, ooh, ooh, let me try. Give me something to show for my, everyone's favorite line is give me something to show for my, for miserable, my miserable life. life. Like it there's was... a Twitter account of like the Kate Bush tweet thought basically a lyric bot. and when whenever that one comes up, it has like everyone retweets it, <laughs> <and> everyone <relates. laughs> Um So like, that's always the most popular one, which says, "So like, give me something to my miserable life." But then it gets more optimistic. Give me something to take, and this is all in the lyrics. There's it's all alternation points. You know, like when she wrote it in the lyrics, it's all alternation points. So she means it. Give me something to take. Would you break even my wings, just like a swallow? So that's just incredibly powerful imagery of having your wings broken and, like, being, letting this, like, like, in the case of Sansa, there's a part in the series, in the books, where she talks about wanting to kill herself, and, um... Mm. And so, like, this idea of, like, give me something to show for my miserable life, don't break my wings, is really resonant. Um, In terms, I think, for anybody who has been kind of on the brink of despair, I know for me it's something that resonates. Um, And just, like, wanting to, I think, like, at this point, the husband in the song, he's, like, he's, like, this might be my only chance at accomplishing Mm -hmm. something meaningful in my life. Yeah. Give me some. Let me do that. Let me have that. Um, you know. And but again, we don't know what. It's kind of like. That's kind of why I almost wish she, there wasn't like a clearly cut narrative to the story because because I'm like, oh, going on some illegal mission is like means that much to you, really like is means breaking your wings. Like it'd be much more powerful if it was about something else. I don't know. But um, like I don't know. Northern Ireland. But but I think <laughs> that it's it's just really amazing. And so so that pat anything, anything I give me a break to just like a swall to would really you break even my wigs like a swallow? I just like I get cheery. I really do. Um and then also the the tension of at three minutes fifty seconds in of let me, let me mm-hmm. go. Whoa, whoosh. Just I love how it climax yeah. So the tension and pull and push. I just love it. Um, one thing, yeah, one thing I was interested in thinking about, because it is a story, thinking about the gender dynamics of the story, because we talk, so basically it's like man wants to do something dangerous and potentially stupid while woman is trying to stop mm-hmm. him. And so as we talked about in the empty boring episode, there's this really small but intriguing genre of narrative, things about women watching men be
2: stupid. So yeah. empty
0: boring. So that's a song about, um, for those you who haven't listened to, not, are not familiar with that song. It's about a woman watching from a tower as her like man friend. We don't know how they are connected. Um, like plays in a bull ring, even though he's already been gored by a bull. And she's like saying this is foolish, but he won't stop. And army dreamers, which is about, you know, basically lamenting the loss of young men in war from a mother's perspective. Um, so it's interesting how this is kind of another entry into the woman having to deal with ma- male bravado mm-hmm. genre that is very limited. There's a quote that Elena says in Game of Thrones. And on the, one of the only uh, quotes that was added that, that wasn't in the book is actually good, which is, uh, she says, we do what we can to keep our sons from the grave, but they seem to yearn for it. Mm-hmm. And that, like, so I think, like, when you realize that this is a husband and wife talking, it's like, yeah, the wife's kind of right. Like when you just hear it on its own, it's like, yes, first independence, Ooh, let me fly. But it's like, no, the wife's kind of right. Like he, he could be getting them into, he could get jail. He could die, you know? Um, so I think that it is interesting in that way of like yet another narrative about kind of like the reckless male and the woman having to watch from afar on a, in powerless to stop him um mm-hmm. yeah so like for example like i think as i mentioned my favorite passage earlier about you know, give me something to show my miserable life would you break my wings less like a swallow when you consider that this is that's a, a man talking to a woman about disobeying a woman who loves him it can seem more reckless or foolish than liberating and empowering on its own out of any context that passage is liberating as hell Um, and so rousing and empowering but in the context now that i know more about the song and also i guess maybe now that i'm maybe well not also because i'm 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 not you know i'm not like a teenager like who's just trying to rebel all the time it's it's easy to see the song from both people's perspectives
2: Mm -hmm. and to be
0: honest i'm kind of like team wife Like, when I read it, like, when I listen to the song, it's, like, Team Husband because it's part, like, it's just so good when it gets really Mm -hmm. emotional. But when you think about it as a story, you're like, "Uh, no, he shouldn't be going on this illegal trip to Malta. And we were texting earlier. We were trying Mm -hmm. to figure out why why Malta and definitely thought maybe, like, the Maltese Falcon. I think that, I think it was just something she found easy to rhyme with, probably, because she does end a lot of things because of her accent with, like, an ah sound. So I think she's probably just like, this kind of sounds, this, that's an easier run with. Or like, just, it's exotic. I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it, it, the plot of it is, I, I think I thought of Maltese Falcon because the plot of this seems like it could be from an old movie. And we all know that like k right, love are old right. movies. And it, yeah, it, and, right, even... and the Maltese Falcon is an object where it's mm-hmm. like something is smuggled in
0: it. Yeah.
1: But, I mean, either way, she's come up with a really. This is just a fucking amazing song. <laughs> I know I keep dropping the f bomb on here, and I'm not going to censor it because you know. Pff, come on, we're don't, all adults here. Don't <laughs> don't don't break your wings. No, don't. Let I know. Break your wings, just like a swallow. <laughs> exactly. So, let you
0: get it's your you dropping the f bomb is is what you have to show for your miserable life, and so be it.
1: Exactly, because you know what, I mean this this song is just this song is just amazing. I. There's a reason that the, there are so many reasons as to why like we've been talking about why this is my my number one song favorite song on the dreaming why this is your favorite song overall it's it's just it's it's in our amazing. entire discography which is like is saying so much yes
0: <laughs> and it's really <laughs> close with get out of my house it's really mm-hmm. close and it's it's not small. it gets there have been times where I'm like. It might be Get Out of House, but no, it's, a nice I think because Night of Swallow has more, as we talked about, more variations. It's just like, sometimes you have like multiple songs in one, and whereas Get Out of My House is more like the actual rhythm of the song is more consistent as a through line, um, this is just, I like things where I, like, the part of why I love the album Never Forever so much is because there's so much different stuff going on. But mm-hmm. I also, I like, this is seems unrelated, but I swear it's not. My favorite ice cream is Ben and Jerry's, because I like how they have different, like, flavors that just have lots of different stuff in it. And it's not just like, oh, here's chocolate. There's, like, lots of stuff in it. Like, that's what I I, I like in my ice cream. But this was a therapy session. I just realized. Such a big revelation. Like, that's why like, my obsession with, like, I'm, like, so, like, I'm obsessed with Ben Jerry's. I eat pints of ice cream for dinner all the time. So, okay. I like, I like, I'm realizing now, like, I basically like in my ice cream what I like in my music and what Kate Bush does so well, which is giving you variety. Or, like, even mm-hmm. again, like, this is, I don't want people to think like I'm necessarily comparing the two, but also I'm not insulting the artist that is quote unquote pop. But, like, my favorite Lana Del Rey album is Lust for Life because she has all on that album the songs all really sound a lot of different, really different from each other. There's, like, multiple types of genres, and things going on. So I think that's what makes this song really special. I mean, a lot of things make this song really special to me. But this is my number one. Then number two, Get Out of My House. And then um, Hello Earth and Breathing. No, no, I'm Breathing. And then Hello Earth. And then it's a t- for number five. It's a tie between Cloud Busting and Hammer Horror. But, um, but... And then it's, this is one of my three favorite songs of all time, along with Bachelorette by Bjork, and You Don't Have to Say You Love Me by Jesse Singfield, another artist mm. who's huge in England that Americans don't appreciate enough.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But, um, but yeah, so like for someone who loves music like I do, for this to be one of my top three favorite songs of all time is...
1: That sounds a lot. I mean a lot, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's certainly for me, like there's so many of Kate's songs that I love... I know. But, or when people ask, like, make a top 10. I'm like, I can do a, it's weird, but I can do a top five, but
0: I can't do a top 10. I don't know if that makes any sense, but.
1: No, I mean, for me, I, I, did, a, I did a top 10 like right as I started doing this podcast because mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to say when I got to a, a right. particular song, oh, yep, this is like number whatever, whatever. Right. Yeah. Like, I know my top five.
0: But when I, when people ask me more than I get, then it's like, wait, no, but that one and that one and that one.
1: Well, I think yeah. we've, wow, I knew this was going to be a long discussion, but wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow.
2: Wow. Unbelievable. Wow. 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 <laughs> I
1: know. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think we've pretty much, I think we've covered everything on this song because there, there's just so much to talk on this song, and we both love this song so much. And, and yeah, and it's
2: news. great to
1: talk to all who love, and, and it's great to talk to all who loves it so much. But as I mentioned
0: at the very beginning, what's funny is that when you do talk to Kate Bush fans, it's kind of like a really popular choice as mm-hmm. one of the people's top favorites. So, so it's good. So it's yeah, we're here. there's there's a lot of us out there
1: (laughs) well i've had an awesome time talking with you about the songs it's it's your absolute favorite and it's my absolute favorite on the dreaming and yay
0: yeah Yeah, no what always a pleasure to talk to you very exciting and to talk about the song and and to spread my passion for it to other people because maybe like there's someone who over who like isn't that into it who's now going to Like, you know, to now be like, oh, this is that one again.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of strange phenomena the music of kate bush if you know something about night of the swallow that we did not get to in our extensive discussion you can find me on the web at kbcast.linkmedia.com that's linked with an e you can email me at kbcast at linkmedia.com you can find me on twitter at strange kate Cast and on facebook facebook.com kate bush podcast Join us for another discussion of another dreaming song. It's next week. We're going to have Zoe on the show again to talk about one of her underrated favorites from Kate Bush, All the Love. See everybody next week.